ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Hi there. Selena Green with you today saying happy Friday and welcome to The Country Hour. In just a moment, are we finally seeing a much-awaited bounce back for beef prices? Let's hope so, but you'll hear more about that shortly. And green spots, they're popping up around stations in far west New South Wales. You'll find out what they're for. Over the years, these green spots have disappeared through soil erosion and, and sedimentation. So it's reduced the size and the extent of these green spots. So, uh, yeah, we're looking at doing some uh, rangeland rehabilitation works to re-establish some of these green spots. More on that to come. You'll also hear the local members' reaction to the passage of those changes to the Murray-Darling Basin plan. My talkback number today, 1300 222 891. Or if you'd like to send me a text, please do. I'd love to see them, 0467 922 But first today, beef prices have started to show some improvements this week across Australia, but is it here to stay? Following high rainfalls across Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia, experts are saying the market has started to get its mojo back. Reporter Elsie Adamo, our senior animal proteins analyst with Rabobank, Anglis Gidley-Baird, if farmers now have the worst of this year's market behind them. It's always, uh, we'll probably just have to look out the window in terms of gauging whether we're at the bottom. But I, I think we are. The indications are that, yeah, we've got some reasonable falls of rain across the eastern coast of Australia. And it has just given prices a bit of a lift, a bit of a boost. We have seen them jump sort of in the order of oh, 30 to 50%, depending on, on what category you're looking at, in the last or month and a bit which is encouraging, and I think it's just probably that, that pessimism that was present in the market and had caused prices, well, I believe it caused prices to slip, has, has started to ease a little bit now that we've had a little bit of rain. And how's international demand for Australian beef been? Yes, it's OK. Uh, I wouldn't say it's going great. Uh, volumes to the US uh, are up. We've got some really strong volumes going to the US, up 77% year-to-date. The Asian markets, though, uh, there is a clear indication that the consumer demand in those markets is quite weak. Um, We've got very high stocks and inventory levels in those supply chains as well, which is making it a little bit harder to shift products. And although we are seeing numbers, like volumes to China are up 30% year-to-date, but I would suggest that's probably more a case of the fact that there is there is product available and it's at very competitive prices. It does worry me a little bit that it's probably going to take a little bit longer to clear some of those supply chains given those increased volumes in China. Senior Animal Proteins Analyst with Rabobank, Angus Gidley-Baird. So how have the results been here in South Australia? Head auctioneer with Combined Independence Agency Association, Ben Don't, says while dramatic shifts in prices have been observed in the eastern states, here in SA, prices have jumped a bit more modestly. We've seen steady rises of sort of 10 to 20 cents across most categories week to week at the moment here in South Australia. But yeah, if you have a look at some other markets, yeah, they've seen some dramatic rises of sort of 50 to 70 cents in some categories from one week to the next. Yeah, obviously they've had more significant rainfall and being in warmer climates, they get the grass growing a lot quicker than what we do this time of the year. Those increases, are they across categories or are they specific? 
No, no, right across all categories. We've seen um, good lifts. Cows are up sort of 40 to 60 cents. Some backgrounding stock are up $1.50 to $2 in some cases. That's obviously cents per kilo live weight. But, yeah, heavy steers, heavy heifers for the, for the trades, they've lifted. Um, cows have lifted. Bulls have lifted. And then all your, your backgrounding stock and your feeder stock have all lifted as well. So, yeah, um, every, every category has seen a good good rise in the east and yeah we're just starting to see that flow on effect here in south australia now and was that expected or is it taken everyone by surprise uh it's taken everyone by surprise we knew, we knew it was going to happen at some stage it was a matter of time and the rain has just caused this to happen good widespread broad rain across northern territory queensland northern south australia and new south wales and, and victoria's had quite a good spring anyway but and that was they they were capitalising on the on the cheap prices, buying trade stock. But yeah, now everyone's looking for stock, or they're not selling stock. So it's just yeah, caused it's caused a turnaround in prices very quickly. And are you expecting prices to stay the same, if not increase, or is there a chance they'll dip back down and not a little bit still? Uh, I don't think they'll dip. If we're looking at long term forecasts on rain, I mean long term sort of seven to ten days. Most of those areas that have had a, had a rainfall are, gonna, are due to get another rainfall. So, yeah, I think the worst-case scenario is that prices will steady out where they are. Best case is they'll continue to rise. And have the sheep prices increased at all? Yeah, we've seen a little bit of, of a rise in the mutton, as well as hoggets and lambs in the eastern states have risen quite quite a bit as well. And, yeah, and same thing here in South Australia. We're, we're just starting to see those prices rise here. And we've sort of seen a 5 to 8 maybe an 8 to $10 rise in each category week to week over sort of the last three or four weeks. Yeah, which has just made everyone feel a bit more confident and a lot happier. And, yeah, no, it's good. It's a really good place to be right now. Yeah, after the last sort of six months in the industry, um, everyone's feeling really positive about it again. So. Yes, I was about to ask. It must. Uh, are you hearing from farmers it's finally come as a, a bit of a relief? They're, they must be pretty happy as we go into Christmas now. Uh, yeah, starting to, certainly. Um, yeah, a lot of the agents you talk to, they're all, they've all got to bounce in their step. The, the, the producers have got to bounce in their step again. Yeah, I mean, the last six months, it's been very tough on a lot of people. And now, now we're seeing that yeah, swing around very quickly. So now every, everyone's feeling really, really buoyant about the industry again now. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a dramatic shift in a short period of time. Well, hopefully some uh, continuing good news as we head towards the end of the year. That's Head Auctioneer with Combined Independent Agency, CIAA Ben Dote, speaking with Elsie Adamo. It's 11 minutes past 12. Well, yeah, a fair bit has happened this week, which does have impacts on farmers in the Riverland. It includes changes to the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. They've passed the Senate, meaning the cap on the amount of water the Commonwealth can purchase from farmers to be, to meet environmental water savings targets has been removed. That practice is called buybacks, and you've probably heard it a few times now. Also at the same time, CCW Cooperative, which represents around 500 local grape growers, well, it's settled a contract dispute with Accolade Wines, which is a very large winemaker. What does that all mean for local producers? Tony Passon is the federal member for Barker. He spoke earlier with ABC Riverland's Julie Kimberley. He starts by saying how disappointed he is on the handling of the Basin Plan Bill changes. What was all the more disappointing is the Labor Party are in such a hurry to get that down and celebrate uh, that so-called achievement that they gagged debate in the House of Representatives. What does that mean? Well, they stopped members like myself, uh, the member for Nichols, who represents the area around Shepparton, the member for Mallee, who represents the area around Mildura, from even making a contribution on the bill. 
So on the one hand, you've got Tanya Plibersek, who is championing this cause. She wasn't prepared to come to the Riverland and listen to growers, uh, and then she wasn't even prepared to listen to the growers' representatives in the House of Representatives. It's a disgrace. And unfortunately, um, our communities are now going to have to deal with the consequence of this. Uh, water will be recovered via buybacks. We'll see less economic activity, more pressure on existing growers to maintain the collective infrastructure. And unfortunately, consumers in our cities uh, are probably not going to want to pay any more for our fruit and vegetables. So we're just going to squeeze margins for growers even further. Or worse still, we're going to see fruit imported from overseas. And we've been hearing that wine grape growers are the most likely irrigators in SA wanting to sell water on the open market or to the Commonwealth to help their financial situation. So despite your opposition to buybacks, do you support them in doing this? No, I'd prefer that they sold their water to anyone else. Uh, My issue is not with individual growers, it's with a government that's seeking to rip water out of the consumptive pool and put it into the environmental pool. Once this water remove, is removed from the consumptive pool, it will never, ever, ever be used to grow another thing. And when, when we're not growing things, we're not employing people. And when we're not employing people, it's harder to find people to volunteer at the CFS. There are less kids at schools. Communities get hollowed out, and this is why we've built communities around the Riverland over more than 100 years on the back of irrigation. The previous... Murray-Darling Basin Plan, I say previous because now there's a different iteration of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. The previous plan got the balance right. Recovering water for the environment, so far over 2,000 gigs while maintaining communities via the socio-economic neutrality test. That's now been thrown out the window. Now, changing tax, um, something you've been engaged with and watching closely was CCW Cooperative and Accolade Wines, and they've now resolved their contractual dispute. What do you make of that? Well, look, I'm very pleased that this dispute that it found its way all the way to the Supreme Court in South Australia is now resolved. As a former litigator myself, I used to tell my clients, uh, nobody wins out of litigation, perhaps only the lawyers, but certainly not in this case the growers and uh, and not accolades. So I'm pleased to, to hear reports that this matter is now resolved for the 2023 vintage. I'm hopeful that that augurs well going forward. But that's effectively a symptom of a greater issue. The issue here is the oversupply of uh, wine globally, Uh, particularly in the red wine sector. Uh, That's a product of a number of things, uh, oversupply, changing in consumer preferences. People globally are drinking uh, less bulk wine uh, and wine more generally, but particularly uh, bulk wine. Now, I've been raising this looming crisis with the now federal government since they came to government. As long ago as September 2022, more than 12 months ago, I wrote to the Minister for Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry, Senator the Honourable Murray Watt. I wrote to Don Farrell, who's our Trade Minister. I wrote to the State Minister, Claire Scriven, and said, there is an impending crisis in the Riverland. Come speak to the wine sector in the Riverland. Sit down and talk. Now, to Claire Scriven's credit, they've worked on the Riverland wine industry blueprint, Uh, It's not the work I would have been undertaking on the ground face-to-face with growers, but that's happened. Federally, we haven't seen Senator Watt. We haven't seen 
Senator Farrell. I've written again and again, encouraging them to meet uh, in the Riverland. I even went to the extraordinary measure of saying, you know what, I will bring producers to Canberra to sit down with you and help you understand what's unfolding in the Riverland, because it's not just the 2023 vintage. It's the 2024 and the 2025 vintage and uh, others. Uh, and yet, in the case of Don Farrell, we at least had the letter acknowledged. In the case of Murray Watt, we didn't even get it acknowledged. But no uh, preparedness to meet with growers, either on the ground or in Canberra, to understand this issue. And I think that's abysmal, because this is an industry that's hurting probably more than any other industry uh, across Australia, uh, save and except for perhaps those that are facing the impending uh, abolition of the live sheep export. Um, Mr Passon, some growers are pushing for further protection to make the Voluntary Wine Grape Code of Conduct mandatory, like it is for the dairy industry. Would you support this push? I have no problem with uh, mandatory codes uh, of conduct. I've never had a problem with them. <clears throat> They're about ensuring we get the balance right between growers and processors. Uh, but... The issue here is bigger than an individual code, as I said. We've got to come to terms as an industry uh, and the government needs a plan for this to understand what's happening in terms of global demand for our product. This isn't a case where one one jurisdiction has a disinclination towards our product. It's an issue where globally people are are reducing their consumption of wine, particularly bulk red wine, and we need a plan. Now, it's not good enough that the government buries its head in the sand and says, oh, look, let's just not worry about it. We'll have a trade delegation to India and it'll all be resolved. Government needs, in the middle of a crisis, to come to the inland wine-growing regions of this country, sit down with the industry and work out what the plan is. In the, in the short term, in the sh- very short term, I've called on more resources uh, for rural financial counsellors. But while you're doing that, you need to work on what the long-term plan is. That's the federal member for Barker, Tony Passon. He was speaking there to Julie Kimberley. And we have put in a call into the federal government for a response. We'll bring that to you when we have it. It's 19 minutes past 12. You're listening to Selena Green on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. A conservation project is taking place in an effort to better protect threatened species, green spots as they're called. They're being re-established on select stations around far west New South Wales to provide refuge for threatened flora and fauna. New South Wales Western Local Land Services Senior Officer Brian Don't spoke to Billy Lily McEwer about the types of species that are most at risk. We're looking at little critters like uh, long-haired rats, um, striped-faced dunnarts. There's there's a little mouse, a forest mouse, a sandy inland mouse, a dusting hopping mouse. So there's a few of those little critters that that they're doing their research on. So we'll go into this program as well. What is it about them that is threatened at the moment and out here especially? So look, throughout the uh, arid zones, the, the biodiversity adheres to boom and bust periods, as, as most people out the West would know. So during these bust periods, um, these species retreat to areas that, you know, we're calling green spots. But over the years, these green spots have disappeared through via soil erosion and, and sedimentation. So it's reduced the size and the extent of these green spots. So, uh, yeah, we're looking at doing some uh, rangeland rehabilitation works to re-establish some of these green spots. What will those green spots look like and how do you, I guess, rehabilitate those sort of areas? So 
So there'll be a couple of range range specialists will go out and we'll have a look on these identified properties and uh, have a look for some areas that, that may have been sort of wetlands or um, alluvial floodplain areas. And some of these areas have just drained because of erosion. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a look for some of these and see what's going to be easily for us to reinstate uh, by doing some, you know, contour banks or some water diversion just to put water back into those wetlands and create those as the uh, habitat areas again. Why is it so important for these species to have these refuges? It's vital that all biodiversity is protected out here. You know, it's, uh, again, these boom and bust periods. Um, our bus periods are a lot longer than the boom, so um, important to uh, try and create those habitat areas so that these critters get a chance to, to breed up and uh, we don't you know, have more species go extinct in the future. What are some of the biggest threats to these species? Yeah, so look, apart from the um, soil erosion, there's you know, predator control works we'll be looking at doing. You know, we've got um, plenty of feral cats seem to be getting around the landscape these days and uh, foxes, so... We'll probably look as part of this project to do a bit of a um, pest animal control as well. But, yeah, certainly if we can re-establish some good vegetation cover, well, then, you know, that's where the critters will uh, survive. What are the numbers looking like and, I guess, what's been observed over the years? I only gauge it by what, you know, discussions I had with landholders. Um, you know, it's great that some landholders send me in photos when they find a little stripe-faced dunnart or find, you know, large pythons and that sort of stuff at their place. The landholders are conservationists too. They want to see these things survive on their properties and uh, this is a great part of this project that they'll, uh, they'll get the benefit out of some of the research programs and, and they'll learn what species are on their properties and uh, what best we can do to try and um, protect them. With control efforts to bring the numbers down of other like, wild pests that threaten these species, are you really hoping to see a difference in numbers of, of the smaller threatened species? Uh, certainly, look, we'll be setting up some uh, some cameras on these sites and, of course, like I say, the Department of Environment, they're doing their research program, so they'll be coming out to these same six properties that we're working on to do their research. So they're the guys that collect all the data and uh, see what difference things make. So, yeah, I'm hoping that they'll certainly um, do some research on the uh, sites that we create, which will, you know, certainly see whether our work's uh, are a benefit or not and hopefully we can continue this on into the future with, with future funds. So how long is this Green Spot project going to go on for and has it already been started? Yeah, so, well, I've got the funding a while ago but uh, we're just waiting to get out to some of the properties and uh, start doing some site selection. This year will be the biggest year because we'll be doing all the earthworks and, and so forth this year and then the next two years is monitoring. So, yeah, it's a three-year program and... Um, we may even look at extending it on to put in another funding grant in the future. Right, don't there, speaking to Lily McEwa. It's just going on 24 minutes past 12. Get ready for great new ABC Entertainment in 2024. Tony Armstrong has an extraordinary new series. Someone cut an onion? <laughs> There's new seasons of Muster Dogs, Spicks and Specks, and Better Date Than Never. I'm still looking for love. And Deborah Malman is tested in the final season of Total Control. I'm not going to let this go. There's so much more in 2024 on ABC TV and ABC iView. You're with Selena Green on this Friday. Let's head to the Weather Bureau and Hannah Marsh is our forecaster today. Hello, Hannah. 
Hi, Selena. Well, it's been an interesting week weather-wise as we uh, reach the first, I guess, day of summer on the calendar. What's it got in store for us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, true to its name, we will see uh, warmer temperatures. But uh, starting from the beginning, those thunderstorms and showers uh, that uh, low and trough brought yesterday across the north have now contracted to the northeast of the state. And associated with that, uh, in the 24 hours to 9am this morning, the highest fall that we recorded was 31.4 millimetres at Todd Morden Station. Uh, but as mentioned, since then, the shower activity has continued to move out. It's really confined to the northeast. We had a bit of cloud about the south uh, this morning and that had some isolated shower activity in it as well, but generally less than a millimetre seen with that. Uh, having a look at some of the temperatures that it's reached so far today, we've got up to 22 degrees at Sejuna, 21 at Port Lincoln, 22 at Wyala, 25 at Port Pirie. It's been up to 28 degrees at Cooper Pedy, 29 at Woomera so far, 26 at Renmark, 25 for Clare, 23 at uh, Murray Bridge, 19 at High Marsh Island, Kingscote and also at Mount Gambier. Then uh, as we head into tomorrow, really we're in a stable pattern with uh, a high to the south dominating. We're still in a southeasterly airstream though, so we will see some isolated shower activity really about the agricultural area, but mainly near southern coasts and ranges. But again, we're not expecting much in the way of totals associated with this. Uh, we're looking at uh, cool to mild temperatures uh, near the coast, but it will grade to warm inland and hot about the far north of the state. And as mentioned, the winds will be moderate south to southeasterly. They will be fresh at times, particularly near the coast. Then as we head into Sunday, we start seeing the winds swing around to the north and that's when we start seeing the temperatures really increase. So for Sunday, we're starting to see some very hot temperatures across the north and far west of the state. Uh, so having a look at some of the temperatures for Sunday, getting up to 35 degrees at Sejuna, uh, 25 for Port Lincoln, 30 at Whaler, 32 at Port Pirie, 37 for Cooper Pedy, 35 at Woomera, 31 for Broken Hill, 29 at Renmark and Clare and uh, Murray Bridge, 27 for Mount Barker, 24 at Victor Harbour, 25 for Kingscote and 24 also for Mount Gambia. And there is the possibility of seeing some severe heatwave conditions starting to develop on Sunday about the north of the state with these very hot conditions and that will continue into the new week. So those hot conditions uh, hang around on Monday and Tuesday but then we do start to see a weak trough developing particularly about southern coastal parts which will just bring some milder temperatures to those areas for Tuesday and Wednesday before a more substantial system moves through towards Thursday and Friday. At this stage, our cumulative rainfall totals up until midnight on Tuesday, we're not really expecting much. It'll be generally less than two millimetres, and that'll be about the west coast, the southern agricultural area, mainly that southern coast and ranges, and also the far northeast today and far northwest uh, as we head into uh, Saturday and possibly Monday and Tuesday.
We don't have anything in the way of warnings at this stage, but as I mentioned, there is the potential for seeing uh, some severe heatwave conditions developing uh, towards the end of the weekend, Selena. All right, we'll keep a close eye on that. Thanks, Hannah. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Thank you. Same to you and your listeners. Hannah Marsh there from the Weather Bureau. So looking at the western inland of New South Wales and the forecast for tomorrow for the upper western district is mostly sunny with light winds becoming west to southwesterlies, 15 to 25 k's an hour in the middle of the day. They'll tend southeast to southwesterly, 15 to 20 k's an hour in the evening. Overnight temperatures about 15 to 19 degrees in the day. They'll reach the low to mid 30s. For the lower western district, mostly sunny, slight chance of a shower in the far east, near zero chance elsewhere. Elsewhere, with light winds becoming southwesterlies, 20 to 30 k's an hour in the middle of the day and then becoming light in the late evening. Overnight, temperatures will get to around 14, daytime temperatures reaching up around 30. It's coming up to half past 12 here on the Country Hour. Up next, we're going to go on a special road trip to South Australia's Ag Town of the Year. You're listening to The Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Selena Green. Selena Green. Hi there. Great to be with you on this Friday. Got a treat for you coming up in just a moment. You're going to head to South Australia's Ag Town of the Year for 2023 to find out what makes it tick, what makes it such a special and vital part of our state and the people who are responsible for it. I'll send you there in just a moment, right after Matt Coleman gives you these headlines. Hi, Matt. Hello, Selena. In the news this afternoon, the Attorney-General Kaya Ma has dispelled claims from the opposition that the state government could be planning to move the traditional date of Australia Day. The Liberal Party has raised concerns about the government only describing the dates and not the names of Australia Day, Christmas Day and Anzac Day in its new public holiday bill. The opposition has labelled parts of the legislation as suspicious, but Attorney-General Kaya Ma says there's nothing out of the ordinary about the wording. The state government has strengthened laws to support people providing clear legal directions about their future health needs. They can now make clear directions on whether they want to be resuscitated, desired medical interventions and end-of-life care if they're 18 or over. And the Red Cross says it's concluded its work in transferring Israeli hostages back from Hamas under the existing terms of a truce agreement, the seven-day deal that saw daily hostage exchanges, a ceasefire and greater humanitarian aid delivery is set to come to an end in a matter of hours. More news at one o'clock. Thanks, Matt. Matt Coleman with those headlines. Well, when your town has a giant statue representing farmers across the country, shouldn't come as much surprise that you can add Ag Town of the Year to the entrance of your town. Woodner was named Ag Town of the Year last month, taking the title ahead of other finalists, Udunda and Bordertown. But a giant farmer is not the only reason Woodner won, and Brooke Nindorf wanted to find out a bit more about the Ag connection in the town. And so we sent her there. She's there now. Brooke Nindorf, good afternoon. Hi, Selena. Yes, thank you very much. I am here in Woodna today and we are celebrating the town because Woodna has been named the 2023 Ag Town of the Year and it's the third time here on the Air Peninsula that we've had the Ag Town of the Year. We've had Cleve, we've had Kimber 
and now we've got Woodner. And Woodner here, a fantastic farming community, lots of fantastic locals. The school's got an expanding ag program that's getting bigger and better every year with the help of local farmers. We'll have more on that one very shortly. Down the road is the Minipa Ag Centre, which is doing great work with low rainfall farming areas and working with local farmers. There's the Farmer Sculpture, which we'll hear about very shortly. And over the next half an hour, we're going to take a bit of a look at what Woodner is doing so well. So to sort of set the scene, to start us off today, we've got Eleanor Scholes, Mayor of the District Council of Woodner, Christy Davis, the CEO of the local council, Naomi Scholes, the Deputy Mayor, and also Executive Officer of AREP, which we'll hear about very shortly. But first of all, thanks very much for joining us here today on the program. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. First of all, Eleanor, we spoke when the town was first announced about winning the award, but what's it been like? What's the buzz been like in the town since the win? Oh, Brooke, great excitement and um, just a celebration of um, everybody's effort involved and especially uh, thanking Megan Lister who put the initial nomination in and then, um, of course, then councils and that get involved from there on once I've been selected. So pretty amazing on the night when it was announced. I'd love the expressions on the faces of um, the girls around me, Megan and um, Nicole. Yeah, just amazing and been going on ever since. Now, the Australian farmer, which is the, the sculpture here in town, if you've driven through Woodner, you would have seen it. Can you tell us about how long that took? to get that that sculpture into the town, Eleanor? Yes, that was um, over a 17-year project. Uh, First started off, the local council at the time was going to run it. Uh, There was a community meeting that decided Budna needed something to recognise an art project and as well as what that means to the district. That didn't get up, so there was a small group of us that um, stuck with that program for the 17 years and then we made contact with a sculptor, Marion Beckett, who at that stage lived in Port Lincoln. We had no funds to do it. We applied for arts uh, project funding, got knocked back a couple of times and decided if it's going to happen, it's up to us. So um, from there it went on to um, our small group um, encouraging others um, to be supportive and um, council then come back on board with some kickoff funding, business and tourism put in and then the rest of it we um, did approaches to families that either lived here or used to live here and the sponsorship build up. So from there, by then Marion had moved on to live in Sydney he um, came back and did the project at the price he first quoted about 15 years before that. So it was amazing. And then just the amazing support of the community. Uh, we've talked about Marlene, local lady who provided her home to Marion and his son um, for the two years. And then the local butcher who said, um, like, I think you're crazy, but I'll supply any meat um, for a barbecues as you try and g the community up to stay on board and then it went on so we ended up with this Australian farmer project that celebrates um, the early pioneers um, the farming communities uh, the good years like full grain bad years empty grain in the sculpture the women that supported everything happening and 
Finally, we had a big launch and that has sort of been like the core of Australian Farmer, now Australian Farmer, Woodna Ag Town of the Year. Just stands there recognising everyone, the history and the harshness of the area too. Chris Davis, I'll come to you. As CEO of the Council, what's your background? What's, uh, you know, with, with Woodna? Um, I actually moved only across um, September 12 months ago, so I'm really quite new to the district. So understand, I guess, when we did, um, you know, the township picked up the win, it wasn't as surprising to me because it was still quite fresh in my mind, I guess, the impact this community can have on, on people and families, you know. And I guess when, yeah, someone new comes to the town, they can see the good things that are happening and, and the people that are, are driving, driving it, it driving probably it. just think, well, this is just what we need to do for the yeah, town. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it, it's you can really feel it. I guess even the tourists, tourists that come through, they just can tell, you know, about the community and it's almost like, the, I don't know, the community is just driven by some a lot of special people um, and that's what makes this community thrive I think um, yeah absolutely I'll come to you now Naomi Scholes and people coming to the town we were just we just met the local librarian uh, who's come all the way from the US so you've got people coming from all over to, to join the community of Woodna yeah and we'd love to see more of that happen I think it's vital to keep the energy going, new ideas, and, and just keep things ticking along. It's fantastic. What is it about um, Woodna that you think does so well when it comes to the agricultural sphere? We are pretty proactive in trying to, I guess, foster this is an agricultural town and it's really vital to the survival of the town and the town is also critical to the survival of agriculture too. So having these services there make it a lot easier obviously for our farmers. So programs and groups like AREP for example that are driving research and development um, to make farming more productive and profitable is certainly a key to that. As that grow group we also try and attract research graduates to keep the capacity of research going on Air Peninsula so that's pretty critical too. And then things like the EP Ag Vision, for example, um, where we're looking towards 2050 and how as a region can we drive towards that and make sure that we are a thriving agricultural area to come. And as I mentioned before, your role as ex- Executive Officer as well of Air EP. Can you just, we have heard about it before, but just give us a brief summary of, of what Air EP does. Yeah, so we're a not-for-profit grower group and we basically attract funding for research and development and extension to improve farming for our farmer members. We work with farmers to decide what are your priorities, what do you need in the space of research, and I guess that's the difference is that we're directly involved with farmers and trying to attract programs that really help them improve their farming. And how is the, um, the, the farming community going at the moment? Uh, obviously a low rainfall area, but what was the season like? Really varied. Some people have had some really high, amazing yields, especially given the rain. Like it's, it's been quite a low rainfall year um, for much of Upper Air Peninsula. But what the farmers have been able to achieve has been incredible. But then they've also been hit with frost and other uh, stresses, mice, snails, things like that. So it's a real mixed bag across some really high, some really low and somewhere in between everywhere. And you were also involved with the Minipa Ag Centre. Obviously, um, you were uh, in a role there. But, you know, having something like that down the road as well, I guess, adding to what's happening here in, in Woodna um, as being Ag Town of the Year. Yeah, absolutely. It just adds 
that extra expertise and knowledge that we can access for our farmers uh, and also a resource. It's a massive resource uh, there at Minipa that enables us to carry out low rainfall research for Air Peninsula. It's fantastic. Well, thank you very much for helping us set the scene here in Woodner. We've got Eleanor Scholes, Mayor of the District Council of Woodner, Chrissy Davis, CEO, Naomi Scholes, Deputy Mayor, but also Executive Officer of Air EP. Thank you very much for joining us uh, here on the program today. I'm Brooke Nindorf, and coming up, we're going to hear what's happening with the Ag Program at the local school. This is ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Brooke Nindorf with you here this afternoon and I'm here in the town of Woodner. We're here in the school library and it's actually a very nice day outside today but we're here celebrating Woodner being named as the 2023 Ag Town of the Year and to find out a little bit more about this submission I guess into this uh, very prestigious award we're joined by Governing Council Chair Megan Lester who was sort of put the submission forward. Is that right, Megan? Uh, yeah, I did. I just sort of saw it come up on on one of the social media pages and thought, oh, I'm just going to write something and see what happens. And um, didn't actually think it would end up us winning. <laughs> so it's been a wonderful surprise. <laughs> so what was it that th- that made you think, right, we could potentially win this? What, what was it about Woodner that stood out as, as being an ag town of the year? I think Woodner is a hub for a very wide area. If you bring in, you know, Warrnambu, Konkata, Minipa, Yenini, all these places, and you've got a, so it's, a, it's like a hub for a wider community. And with what we're also trying to do at the school with the ag program and really getting a really good ag program going and cranking to, to appeal to all the kids around here that all mostly come off farms or are somehow involved in agriculture. So, How did you feel when you saw that Woodner kept going further and further in the, the process of, of the award and then on the night hearing that you had won? Um, I was kind of, yeah, so I was actually really surprised because I kind of just did it off the cuff. I didn't organise what I was going to say. I just wrote what, what basically came from the heart sort of thing. And then I think that's the whole process is that's come from the heart from all of us. We didn't overthink it. We just went in there, did it, got the job done. And um, I was actually at the awards with uh, Nicole, who was the, the teacher coordinator for the whole thing. And we both looked at each other when wouldn't have got called out and went, what? And then next one, we both had tears in our eyes going, oh my God, we won. And you're also part of the, the Ag Steering Committee here at, at the school as well. Tell yep. us about what's involved with that. Okay, so we're here to support the school with their ag program, with their teacher, and just be there when they need them. Like we've done a lot of uh, working bees up at the at the ag block to make new yards and set things up up there for them. Um, support with the lead weathers um, and donating them with lead steer and with the cattle program because the school actually has its own uh, speckle park cattle stud as well. And just anything that they need, we're there to help. We're with feed with yeah anything so and just need to ask (laughs) and so many local farmers are involved with helping out the students aren't they Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we've, And it's good because we've got a wide range of farmers helping out. So we've got sheep people helping out with the sheep side. We've got people helping out with the cropping side. And then we're helping out with the cattle side. And then we have elders with um, agronomy type side of things to help out with all that sort of thing. So we've got other businesses in town actually helping as well. So, it's um, yeah, the kids are getting a really big focus on a lot of different things. So, Why is it so important to get local farmers involved in the, the ag program here? 
probably you know for their knowledge their experience is, is a good thing because they, they can say what they've done and what what didn't work what did work and just you know we know that the kids are our future so I think one of the things we had was is that the, the, our future is growing with us meaning it's these guys these kids here that are um, the ones that are our future in the next in the coming years to where agriculture goes in this area so we want to get them set up so they can take over <laughs> well, what do you, what do you personally get from it being involved the enjoyment I just love it I am very big I love agriculture I especially love cattle my my focus is cattle and cattle breeding and stuff like that so I love coming out and the kids out with the cattle side of things with the lead steer side of things and I've got boys up and coming boys just studying high school sort of thing now that I want to you know get passion I'm just passionate about ag and I think the more and the more women we can get in, and that's the other side of things women I've been in agriculture my entire life and it's good seeing so many young girls and women out there really getting passionate about ag as well and that's what I want to see more of them in the, in the, in the industry too so and we're going to hear from some of these young ones that might be coming up through the industry very shortly I think you're a local farmer as well as, you, as you've mentioned cattle yep. is is your big thing yeah how, how yep. is the industry going for you at the moment um, we had a significant drop in price uh, this year from uh, last year, but I mean that's that's agriculture, isn't it? Is you got to ride the waves. You can have good years, you can have bad years. Um, we supply the local butcher shop for about six, seven months of the year with beef, so that's been our main focus for the last few years. Um, we have just started up our own Speckle Park cattle stud a few years ago too, so we're just getting into the breeding side of things now um, and supporting school with their stud. So yeah, it's just it's yeah we're doing we're doing we're doing good. It's not yeah. Well, Megan Lester, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. It's been great to hear from you as, as someone who started this uh, process um, to, to get Woodner on uh, on the map as the Ag Town of the Year. Um, you started the, uh, the the award process and then got them right through to the end. So, Megan, thanks very much for joining us on the program today. Cool, thank you. <laughs> Megan Lester, who is uh, the Governing Council Chair and also a part of the Ag Steering Committee and local farmer here. Let's find out more about what's happening here at the school and we're joined by ag teacher Genevieve Wright and students Megan Allen, Zara Kammerman and Carly Gray. Thanks for joining us on the program today. Thank you. Thank you. Now Genevieve we'll start with you and I always like to point out with Genevieve that she is a former Haywire winner with ABC. Genevieve tell us about your story. When when was it and uh, what was it about? So my Haywire story was um, in 2011. Uh, it was about working in the shearing sheds as a young rouseabout and just getting exposed to the industry. So taking myself out of the classroom and jumping in the big wide world and just being involved in ag. And I think that was a real driver for my passion for agriculture, just growing up on a property being exposed to just mainly sheep farming, but just seeing how amazing this industry actually is. And obviously you were part of the ag program at Cummins Area School. So you've been able to take a little bit of guess what you were sort of learn as a student then those experiences and bring into your teaching. Yeah, so being a student at Cummins, so that was a good uh, local community, a local school which had its feet in uh, cattle, sheep as well as cropping so you could get a feeler for everything and being able to be involved in all of those different uh, areas of agriculture, I could yeah really bring that here to Woodna and help develop the program here. What have you got as part of the, the ag program here at the school? So the ag program here at the school, like Megan said, its focus uh, has a big impact is their Speckle Park cattle stud that they started in 20. 20- 
19. So we have, it's like very young, very new, but we get to do a lot of genetics and breeding. We're supported by a national herd development from Murray Bridge. They come and do artificial insemination for us. So there's a lot of the genetics and the learning behind there. Not only that, we have the support of elders with our cropping program. So with the agronomist that comes and works with the senior students, so the year 11s and 12s who put in um, crops. So whether or not it's for growing hay for the livestock here, or if it's a grain as feed but that could also go to the silos but get heavily involved in that. We do have a big focus as well on merino weathers so the merino sheep because merinos are a big part of this area um, important to um, the marginal country of South Australia so learning about maximising the land that we have, the resources that we have but still have max, uh, maximum profit and then you also have your other focus areas like um, vegetable plot production as an introduction to plant production, um, raising your chickens and we've got yabbies down in the year sixes and then down in the year um, five sixes we have a look at aquaponics so growing lettuces and spinach in the yabby tank um, looking at 3D printing and seeing how technology can fit in with agriculture as well. And so it's not just the, the, the older students that are taking part it's, it's right from the, the young ones as well? Yeah so we do have ag lessons for students from year the five, six, right to 12, but the receptions, the junior primary, the primary, they all have ag focus in their classes as well because this is an ag community and so that's what the kids can really relate to. So if you want to make the learning meaningful, you will relate it to agriculture. And I guess that's what Megan was saying before about, you know, teaching that next generation and getting them excited about ag from an early age. Yeah, when you're really passionate about what you do, you can really you can show that to the kids and they can build that passion. So that's what I like to do as an ag teacher. Just show my passion and then hopefully some of them feed off that and foster it and they're like, oh, this is a really great industry and maybe I can jump into there somehow. Have you noticed that students that have gone through the program over the last few years, they've stayed around on the town, in the town and either worked on the family farm or, or got jobs locally? Yeah, so there's a bit of um, both. So you've got some students who have been really supported by being extended in the ag program. There, some of them have gone off to university and study agriculture um, or environmental science related to agriculture, which is really interesting. But then, like you said, there are lots of students um, who do just... Um, they still like stay working in the local area. So whether it's with a local business or um, their family farm or a neighbour's farm, but they are still involved in the industry. And I guess that's how this community is still going to keep thriving when you've got the young ones staying back um, and helping bring it along. And by having the stud, does that um, help with making it like a profit for the school? Yeah, well, hopefully... In the next couple of years it does. It has been a cost investment early on because um, buying the cattle and the resources and the materials that we needed to get it going. But over the next few years we should be able to see a return of the investment in that sense. We've only just started selling heifers but next year there'll be some bulls to start to sell. Um, this year we were lucky enough to have twin calves born so um, out of our four cows next year, we'll have five calves. So, and even one of them, um, because she's not a registered cow, it's a school steer for next year. So that's a bit exciting for the whole group. Yeah, definitely. Genevieve mm. Wright, ag teacher here at Woodner Area School. 
thank you very much for your time on the program today. It's been great to hear what you've been up to. Let's find out from the students now why they love being involved in the program. I've got Megan Allen, Zara Kammerman and Kaylee Gray. Girls, thanks for joining us today. Megan, we'll start with you. What What do you love about the Ag program here at Woodner? I think I like how it's so inclusive almost because you've got a wide range of things and you're able to have you're able to do kind of what you enjoy like I think one thing that I do like the most in in ag at school is the cattle because I like you know leading the calves and I like feeding them I also like looking into the, the art of fish like insemination that I like doing putting that thing in last year <laughs> and I guess that that brings in you know science and things like that as well yeah I reckon and it'd be good I think as you get older you look into more of the genetics in that don't you so I reckon I'll look forward to doing that in the future because I'm kind of interested in that a bit more and seeing how you can kind of breed and be able to get better cattle and and relate to anything really. Is the ag industry something that you might be keen to to stay involved with down in the future? Definitely I really don't want to do much else except maybe go to uni to be a vet or something like that. Excellent that's really good to hear Zara we'll come to you now how did the uh, the the lead steers go this year? Uh, really well. We had a South Devon from Megan's Lister's um, farm. We had a, a Black Angus as well, part of the team. It was a, more of a struggle with a Black Angus because they're an angrier breed. <laughs> um, we we had five students in the uh, lead steer, all girls, and we were there was three students on the. Black Angus, two on the South Devon. Uh, we won. We didn't win anything. We came fourth in, I think, the on the hoof judging for the South Devon. It was a really good experience just being there. Even if we didn't come in first place, it was so much fun just being at Adelaide because it's a big experience in a big city. And is ag something that you might like to do down the track? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I want to work towards either helping people like in nursing or farming, any way that has something to do with agriculture. Kaylee, we'll come to you now. Now, Kaylee, tell us about where you're from. Um, I'm from Minipo. So just down the road? Yeah. <laughs> and you went to Karkatawi Area School, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just there last year and moved to Woodner because just for the ag program and get a better experience and stuff. What have, what have you loved about the ag program here at the school? Um, it's just a good experience. For me, like, I love growing up with that and being involved in it. <laughs> and is, is ag something that you might like to get into? Yes, I want to be an agronomist when I grow up. Well, all the very best with yeah. that. I look forward to seeing uh, three students from Woodner, all females as well. We were just saying before how great it's been to have an all-female panel here in Woodner talking on the program, um, coming through. And, uh, yeah, it's been great to have you on the program today. Genevieve Wright, I'll just come back to you. Obviously, these students here are excited about getting into ag into the future. That must be must be promising as well and goes to what you were just saying before. It is. When there are the kids that are looking for forward and into working into the ag industry, that's just what we do, um, whether or not it's the Ag Steering Committee, it's us as well, me as an ag teacher, but that's what we want, people passionate about the industry and just willing to have a go and get their feet in there. And we touched on this a bit before, but the, the connection with the local farmers, like how, how important is that to this, this program and moving forward? If, there, if there's a farmer that's local and thinks maybe they might like to get involved and share their experiences or, or share their knowledge, what can they do to get involved? So the 
Community support with the ag program is huge because there's so much an ag teacher can say, but as soon as you get a community member in and add their expertise, they uh, can make a connection to beyond the classroom um, more than they might actually consider it. And not only that, there are unique opportunities that the community members can bring, their experiences, their expertise, things they've tried and tested, failures become successes. So there's all of that type of connection that they can bring to the students and there are many ways that community members can be um, utilised in the learning so if there are community members who think that they might like to contribute they're more than welcome to get in contact with the school um, and just or even the Ag Steering Committee let them know Um, we have frequent meetings um, so they can come and join that and um, meet us and help us along the way. Fantastic. Genevieve Wright, thanks very much for your time. Ag teacher here at Wooden Area School. We're also joined by students Kaylee, Zara and Megan. And uh, that's all we've got time for on the program today. Thank you very much for joining me. Brooke Nindorf here in Woodnap to celebrate the town being named as Ag Town of the Year for 2023. As part of that, they'll get some special signage and I think they'll keep celebrating for many years to come as, as the Ag Town of the Year. So thanks very much for, uh, for joining me and back to you, Selena, in the studio. Oh, thank you, Brooke. Brooke Neindorf there, our Air Peninsula Rural Reporter, uh, bringing you that fantastic cross from Woodner today, celebrating the town's recent win as Ag Town of the Year. So congratulations to everyone in the town and everyone involved in the nomination and getting Woodner chosen for that. Uh, if you'd like your town to be the 2024 Ag Town of the Year, well, you have to make sure that you nominate when uh, that process opens next year. Uh a few texts that have come through on the program today. I think this is Steve from Clare. He says, yes, I have climbed Mount Woodner, says Steve. Uh, we heard earlier on the program today from the member for Barker, Tony Passon, and his thoughts on the passage of those changes to the Barry Darling Basin Plan. David from Kudawara hopped on the text line. He says uh, he felt that was a load of rubbish regarding the Murray Darling. Uh, David's text reads, the coalition had 10 years to do this plan, but instead wrapped the whole thing in brown tape and stuck the head in the sand. David also believes the LNP also stopped the wine into China due to upsetting them by a lack of diplomacy. Uh, thanks for your text today. It is two minutes to one. You're with Selena Green. This summer, have a safe one by learning your ABCs. A is for action plan. Having an action plan means you know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. B is for be safe. Be aware of the hazards you may face in the local area. C is for connect. Connect to abc.net.au slash emergency for the latest emergency information. During an emergency, listen to your local ABC radio station. ABC Radio is your emergency broadcaster. We just have enough time to cross to Sonia Feldoff and find out what she's got for you this afternoon. Hi, Sonia. Hello, Selena. Well, for the last time, I'll be chatting to you on the afternoon show at this time. And as we plan to move to breakfast, obviously local uh, programming continues for the next couple of weeks, but we're off to work that out. On the program today, though, will you be seeing speed cameras on your beaches from today because the new laws take effect at the default speed limit, lowering the speeds on beaches where you drive. And we'll also be meeting Damien Porter. He's a disability advocate. He lives with a disability himself ahead of International Day of People with Disability. Looking forward to hearing his story. Thanks, Sonia. Enjoy those uh, early alarms. Sonia Feldoff bringing her last afternoon's program today. Stick around for that. It's one o'clock. To get started with the ABC Listen app, find the app store on your phone. Search for ABC Listen, tap the pink ABC Listen icon and download it. 
Congratulations. Now you've got ABC Radio in your pocket. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.